Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read two verses, verses 12 through 13. Will you follow along with me as we read? This is God's Word. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have also always obeyed, not as, only, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You might be a little bit scared by the title of that message, or the title of the message today, Working Out. We're not going to have a fitness class in here today, all right? Working out and working in. If I could offer today this, if two verses summarize the Christian walk, these two verses are it. If there's any verses that succinctly define what the Christian journey and experience is like for the believer, these verses describe it. And so we're going to look at it today for the, for the next two hours, three hours, whatever it might be. We're going to ask the Lord to help us. Maybe you should pray that it won't be two hours, all right? Let's bow. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for a church that is passionate about hearing it receiving it, applying it, living it out. I do ask today, Lord Jesus, that your spirit would have free course in our hearts. Help us to quiet distractions, both external distractions and the internal ones that we wrestle with. The things that are on our hearts and minds this morning. The things that We might be tempted to give our attention to when we need to take this time and very intentionally work hard to listen well to the Word of God. And so we ask that you would help, that you would help us to apply it and that your grace would enable us to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. The title and theme of our series in the book of Philippians has been that of experiencing Jesus. The Philippian church, like believers in this room, had experienced Jesus. They had tasted of the saving work of Christ. And what a sweet joy that is. They, like the psalmist from experiencing Jesus, they could say like the psalmist, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. They had trusted in Jesus, and in so doing, they had also come to now live in such a way where they not only trusted in Christ, but in their daily walk, they enjoyed Jesus. I think that's a part that we as Christians often forget. We neglect that we have the opportunity through the indwelling Holy Spirit to enjoy what it means to know Jesus. That is really a good place for Christians to be. It's good for us to be able to enjoy our Savior. To enjoy the gifts and the benefits and the blessings 
of Jesus. In fact, being here today, gathered today, this is one of the blessings of enjoying Jesus. You might remember this Philippian church. It began in Acts chapter 16 with Lydia. She's a seller of purple. She's a wealthy woman. She's from Asia. And all her house had tasted of the Lord. What a, what a wonderful gift that is. Not only do we find this wealthy woman, but we find a young slave girl. In fact, she's not just a slave girl. She's a demon-possessed slave girl. This slave girl, no doubt, had, by, by all accounts, had tasted of the salvation of the Lord. It was not only an, a, a wealthy Asian woman, but this, this young slave girl with a, with, a, with a spirit of divination. Also, we find in Acts 16, there's a Roman jailer, a, a man of Rome who's faithful to Caesar and faithful to all that, that Rome stood for in the empire. This Roman jailer had watched Paul and Silas as they had been thrown into the Philippian prison. And this Roman jailer had decided that he too wanted a taste of the Lord. And these, like you and I, can all cry out with the psalmist that we have tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good. This Philippian church, this diverse, both socially, economically, ethnically diverse church, they were amazed with what it meant to truly know the God of the universe through His Son, Jesus Christ. They were amazed. What a delight it is for you and I as Christians. What a joy it is for you and I to know Jesus. And the incredible grace that is available to us to not only know Christ and to enjoy Him, but to experience that grace daily. Through this church and through its experiencing of Jesus, they had received more than they understood when they came to Christ. And I don't know if you always understand or if I always understand but pouring into the word will help us it is in the book of Philippians that we find that this church experiencing several things and they came to know several things because of Jesus they they experienced what churches like Ravenswood and other churches experience they experienced spiritual leaders and pastors and shepherds truth is God does not give churches to pastors but God graces pastors to churches. And I'm not saying that I'm a special blessing. I'm simply saying it is a joy for a church to have spiritual leaders. In Philippians 1, Paul said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. They were, they were blessed with a pastor. In this shepherd, they found a man that they could follow and imitate as Paul followed and imitated Christ, even from Roman prison. Paul had also admonished them to, in experiencing Christ that they were to strive together for the gospel. Strive together for the faith of the gospel and to, in the proclamation of the gospel. But then, in chapter 1 we found, these Christians in this church, they faced something that they hadn't thought would come. They faced something that was difficult for them. They began at some point, to experience suffering for Christ. In many cases, suffering, in most cases, suffering like we don't grasp here in our, in our Western society, in our, in our American culture, we, the, 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 the suffering that comes with abandoning all and following Jesus. Paul had to exhort them that the suffering for Christ 
was one of the ways that they most profoundly experienced Jesus. We also learn that this church experiencing the joy because of experiencing Jesus. Jesus blesses believers with a church. And that in this church and in this community, this Philippian church and in this Ravenswood church, these Christians were there to look out for the needs of each other. And in so doing, they began to be a part of a body that helped them to experience Jesus. One of the reasons why we need to be in church and we need to be in the body is because this is one of the places that God has gifted us to experience Christ and to enjoy Christ. To give them a pattern of what that looked like, Paul points them to Christ. He points them to Jesus who deserved all glory and praise, but instead was humiliated in death on the cross. But as we heard last week, God now has exalted him to the highest of places because of his finished work. And so now, these Christians, you and I as well, we now get to experience Jesus because we know he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Exalted. So now, they, like us, they were now enabled and empowered to experience Jesus in the church, in their marriages, in their relationships, through Christ-like humility, through humble service and sacrifice, and obedience to the Lord Jesus. And so I ask you by way of introduction this morning, as we've come this far now, this is the 11th message in the book of Philippians with, with several to go, I ask you this questions. Have you experienced Jesus as your Savior? Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? Have you experienced, have you tasted of the fruit of Christ? Have you been blessed with the eternal reality that Christ has saved you from the wrath of God and Christ will hold you secure? Have you experienced Jesus? The saving knowledge of Jesus. Number two. Have you experienced Jesus and are you experiencing Jesus in your life each day? Now I want you to hear this. As practical as it can be, it is God's pattern that every believer from the moment of salvation to the moment of death or the rapture of Jesus the rapture of the church and the return of Jesus Christ from salvation to death or the rapture it is God's design that every Christian experience Jesus every day every single day that you experience what it means to walk in relationship with God that you enjoy the gospel that you enjoy being saved that you enjoy the word of God but that calls us to number three. Are you experiencing Jesus and causing others to experience Jesus in this church? Now there's two ways to direct the question. Number one, the question is, are we experiencing Jesus in this church? And so if we have to ask ourselves, are we coming to church ready to experience Jesus? Are we getting in, in connection groups at 10 o'clock? Are we making an effort to grow by, by, by studying the Bible and reading the Bible, going through discipleship with other believers? Are we gathering on Sunday nights at 6 or Wednesday night at 7? Are we getting in intentional relationships in the body of Christ so we grow and experience Jesus? But secondly, what are you doing today? Or what are you going to do this week 
to help somebody else in this body experience Jesus. Who are you going to meet with? Who are you going to have coffee with? Who are you going to text with? Who are you going to read the Bible with and be accountability partners together with? Who are you going to, who are you going to spend intentional time with this week and to help them experience Jesus? Who you, whose needs are you going to meet? Who's, who's gonna, who's gonna, who are you going to be praying for? Who's going to hear of, 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 of your desire to love and bless them? You see, you didn't get saved for an isolated experience. You got saved to be a part of a corporate experience of the body of Christ experiencing Jesus. By the way, that's one of the reasons why we have Sunday school at 10 o'clock, connection groups at 10 o'clock. One of the reasons why, stay with me now, one of the reasons why we have service at 11, another reason why we have service tonight at 6, another reason why we have Bible study and kids groups and, and, and small groups on, on Wednesday night is so people have opportunities to experience Jesus together. As we go forward in verses 12 to 13, the, the theme of the, the text does not change. The passage is still directing believers to both live out individually the gospel and to live out the experience of Jesus individually and in the church. And the reason we know that is because we're going to put back up on the screen the the text today. We find in verse number 12 a very important word at the very beginning. And that word is wherefore. All right, now you're going to be my class today, church. What is the first word on the screen today, class? Oh, you could do better than that. Class, come on, you got to talk to me a little more. Let's wake up. It's Sunday morning. We're in church. we got to be ready to, to let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Ready? Here we go. What is the first word on the screen, class? Wherefore. The wherefore of verse 12 directs us and links us with all that we heard about the humility of Jesus from verses 5 all the way to verse 11. The sacrifice of Jesus, the obedience of Jesus, the death of Christ, the exaltation of Christ. That portion, now the wherefore, connects us and links us to where we're going today. We don't get to leave that and act like it's, okay, that's behind us, what's next? They work together. What Paul literally says here, when when the connecting word of wherefore, with the connecting word of wherefore, he says, now that you understand the humility and the sacrifice and the obedience of Jesus, live this out. Live it out. And here's how you live it out. He tells them, and if you get nothing else, get this. When you look back at the mind and the life and the actions of Christ, Live it out. Live it out in your life and live it out with somebody. Husbands, live it out with your wives. Wife. (laughs) Wives, live it out with your husband. Parents, live it out with your children. Live it out in the church. And the instruction and encouragement on the living, on living the commands and living the ethics and living the lifestyle of Jesus outwardly is what we're going to look at today. But before we embark on the journey in this text, I want to tell you, this is not a text that should overwhelm us. It's not a text that should should discourage us. It's a text that so clearly articulates what the Christian life should be empowered by the gospel of Christ. And so, 
I want you to notice these two points today, very simply. It doesn't get much more simple than this. Point number one. Point number one in your outline. You work out. Now, I'm not telling you to go get a gym membership, although, talk to your doctor. Seek medical advice before you do. You work out. In verse number 12, we find these words. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul offers here a very incredible commendation to these Christians. He does so by acknowledging their ready obedience to the teaching of the Lord's gospel and their general obedience to the commands of the scripture. I want to stop here for just a moment and I want to recommend to parents, to those in authority in any way. I want you to notice what Paul does before he tells them to do something. Paul actually gives us a good pattern for good leadership and that is before we recommend something, we brag on something. We might want to consider that in our parenting. Hey, you did a great job sleeping last night. Now do a good job of making your bed. <laughs> it's a good example to you and I of how to best encourage people. But this is a congregation, this Philippian congregation. They, they grasp the seriousness of biblical obedience. As a people, to be honest with you, you and I today, we tend to dismiss the importance of obedience. As parents, we don't require it of our children. Bosses don't require it often of their employees. The nature of obedience in our society, and we got people that don't obey speed limits and, and general laws, right? We just we 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 have neglected the value and the importance of obeying. But these Christians understood. They understood the importance of obedience. And if you notice in the words there, they don't even need Paul to be there to obey. They don't need Paul. In fact, Paul says that they obey more more in his absence. You obey in my presence. And he says there, but now much more, you're obeying in my absence. This is a parent's dream, right? You don't have to tell them what to do. You don't have to tell your kid to make their bed, brush their teeth, comb their hair, unless you're me. You don't have to tell them to put on clean clothes every day. In fact, they do it even better when you're not around. Paul's saying, you guys, you obeyed when I was there. You obey even better when I'm in prison. I might as well stay here. It's like every parent who's had somebody watch their kid, and you pick them up, and they go, you say, how are your kids? They're going, fantastic. We're like, good. Would you mind watching them for a few more days? Paul says, hey, you guys obey well. And you'd think he would stop there. You would think he would say, you know what? You obey well. Let's move on. But he doesn't. Now, I need you to understand. I need every Christian here to understand. Child up to, up to senior saint. To understand this. This. This is a sign of biblical maturity. Christ-likeness is being formed in us as we obey. As we become more and more. And obedience becomes more and more the norm in our life rather than the exception. This is a sign of biblical maturity. And for these Christians, their pastor doesn't need to be there for them to, for them to obey. Their spiritual leader doesn't need to be watching over them to make sure they're obeying. There's not a mom and dad saying, uh-uh, in line. Nope, nope, nope. Get over. 
This is the sign of spiritual maturity. And I believe that this sign of maturity needs to show out in all churches. A church must press forward in faithful obedience to the Lord when a pastor is there and when a pastor is not. A child needs to understand that they're to do what's right when the parents are looking and when the parents are not. A man needs to keep his eyes and his heart from lust when his wife is there watching and when she's not. What is that? That's a sign of spiritual maturity. This is a spiritually mature church. Now it's important we understand that. Because the context going forward is not, these are not believers who are a mess. I mean, this is not the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is a mess. These are believers, they've been around, they, they, they understand what, they, what God has called them to do. Why? Why is this important that spiritual maturity be, yes, at church, at home, at work? Why? Because you and I understand the basic concept that all Christians are always in the presence of God. As my dad used to say, if you look to the left and mom's not there, and you look to the right and dad's not there, and you look down and we are there, guess what? Look up because God is still there. It's a reminder that you and I don't leave the responsibility of living obedient lives. My desire and my prayer is that our church will be this. I pray it is for each of us. I pray specifically for my children. That we become obedient to the Lord always. But Paul goes on here. Now this is so vital. Okay, So fight against the urge to disconnect. What Paul does here is he connects their obedience to the end of verse number 12 when he says, because those commas there of the inserting, you obeyed well when I was there and you even do it better when I'm gone. Those commas there give us a little bit of an add-on. But verse 12 finishes regarding going back to that obedience. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Their obedience to the Lord is connected to the working out of their salvation. Now, before I get into this and explain what this does not mean, I need what this means, I have to tell you what it does not mean. This verse does not say, and it does not mean, that you must work out and, and obey for the purpose of being saved. It's not what it says. Paul is writing, as we found, to beloved brothers and sisters. Wherefore, my beloved, those who I am love in the faith. He says, and by the way, it's been clear throughout the first two chapters that these are believers. Add to that that we understand that the New Testament, the message of Scripture, old and new, is very clear. That you cannot work enough to merit and obey enough to earn salvation. We know that. We cannot obey our way into salvation. You couldn't obey into getting saved, and you cannot obey into staying saved. Fundamental to the faith. Romans 3 tells us that all sin and come short of the glory of God. It tells us in verse 24 that we are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 tells us, for it is by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so I need to be clear. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 does not say, work to be saved. It's not saying that. This is the only way. Grace and faith in Jesus is the only way of salvation. To admit your sinfulness, admit your need for, for, for someone to pay for your sin, and to run to Jesus in faith. This is the way of salvation. So, 
What does this mean to work out your own salvation? Well, two answers. One is long and one is short, but they're both the same. Salvation has three dimensions. Stay with me. Salvation has three dimensions. It has a past dimension. It has a present dimension. It has a future dimension. If you are saved, if you've come to Christ in faith, the past dimension is that you have been justified. There was a moment, a past moment, when you placed your faith in Christ and you were saved. Your sins were forgiven. Past, present, and future sins were all forgiven. And so what we also see is the, is the present dimension. That present dimension is, the, is the, what we would call sanctification, which is where you and I are progressively in a process by which we become more and more like Christ until we see Jesus. That is what we're, the present dimension is. That means right now that God is working in me and that he is bringing about in my life a, a spiritual growth. He is calling me to grow. And so in my growth, I am becoming more and more like Christ. And I should be every single day. And so the future dimension is that of that moment when you and I received our glorified body. And so here's the best way to say it. And I don't want to confuse you this morning, but I want to be very clear. You have been saved. You are currently being saved, meaning you are being brought more and more into the image of Christ. And there's a moment when you receive your glorified body up in eternity that you will be saved forever. It'll be done. It'll be finished. You won't be growing any longer. It'll be complete. Fully in the image of Christ. Are right, you follow that? So what happens is you get saved. You have now entered into relationship with Christ, through faith with Christ. Jesus begins daily changing you until that moment when you are fully changed, satisfied, complete. And so the present dimension that Paul is writing about, when he says work out your own salvation, he's talking not about being saved past. He's not talking about being saved future. He is talking about this, the, all the in-between. All the in-between. Work out your salvation in this in-between. Here's a simple answer. Both away from the church, within the church, we are to passionately work out our salvation through obedience to the Lord until our death or the rapture of the church. Our salvation should always be visible in all we do. And for that, regular obedience to the word is necessary. And that also means this. There has to be in our life a passion to grow in our walk with the Lord, our obedience to the Lord, our humility before the Lord and others. There's got to be a passion for that walk. And so this obedience is already spoken of. It's already been spoken of. We've already seen this as Jesus is obedient to the Father. And so as Jesus is passionately obedient to the Heavenly Father, you and I are to passionately obey in our walk with the Lord. Now we all understand we all understand the activity and the need to be active in our Christian walk. And in just a moment, I'm going to tell you how that, how that comes, how that passion comes. 
Because you might be and you go, Pastor, I understand that I'm, I'm supposed to obey the Lord. I'm supposed to obey the Word. I understand that, but sometimes I just don't have a desire to. I just don't want to. I just don't think about it. I just, I just don't care. So what do I do? We'll get there in just a moment. But I will say this. Every Christian, every single Christian, is to take very serious and to take very personal the responsibility to grow in his or her faith. Every Christian is to take very seriously the commands of the Lord Jesus, of the Word of God, and every Christian is to strive to be more and more obedient to the Lord every day. Now you might feel like, boy, this is, Pastor, this is, Tough. It's basic. And it's direct, yes. But it's important. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul tells the Christians that there's to be this active cleansing of, of, of themselves from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit. They're to perfect holiness in the fear of God. That they're to be active in their Christian walk. Romans chapter 6, Paul tells them that we're to yield, Paul tells all believers that we're to yield our members as servants to righteousness unto holiness. That you and I are to be active in this. 1 Thessalonians 4, he tells them that their walk and their please, the way they please God should abound more and more. In Ephesians 4, he tells, Paul tells the Christians that they should, they're to walk worthy of the vocation with which they're called. In Philippians 3, he tells them that he presses toward the mark, that he's constantly moving forward in his walk with Jesus. Always moving forward. Now the, the danger in this is our greatest enemy is apathy. Our greatest enemy, and by the way, it strikes us in the middle of church sometimes. Apathy and passivity. It is in these moments that we have to be ready to fight the fight of faith. Now you go, what? Pastor, I know this. I get it. I'm supposed to obey the Lord. Absolutely. Paul tells them here. You're to work out your own salvation. Peter even says that it is your responsibility... He says, you, grow in grace. You're to strive to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The believer is to take that responsibility personally. Paul stresses it to them. But then he says this. He says, you're to work out your own salvation and you're to do it in fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. What he's saying there, what this fear and trembling is, is not that you and I work our Christian life afraid of God, but you and I work out our salvation. It becomes visible. The visible evidence of our salvation is apparent to people around us, to our spouse, in our church family. It is seen, our children see the visible evidence of spiritual growth in our life. And Paul says this should be done not out of fear and being afraid of God. It ought to be done in this fear and trembling is reverence to God. We're to grow as Christians in reverence and in humble awe that Christ has saved us. The awe of salvation motivates and empowers our spiritual walk. Now stay with me now. Okay, stay very close with me because all that right there is very direct. 
There's not a Christian in here. Are you, are you listening? There's not a Christian in here who's been exempt from the command to obey the Lord Jesus. Not a single Christian. There's not a command in the Word of God that you and I are not required and called to obey. I want to be very clear on that. Paul says, work it out. Work out your salvation. Make it visible. And then he says, I got some other good news for you. Look back at your outline there and look at your Bible. He brings us to the second point. He says, you're to work out your own salvation. And then he says, there's another link there. There's another link. If I can get verse 13 up there on the screen. There's that link word for. For. You need to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. For. And here's why you can. And here's how you're to do it. Here's how you're enabled to do it. Here's how it's possible. For. It is God which both work which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure for it is god now i want to be here it is right here this is the christian life defined in two statements you work it out while god works in you work it out while god works in paul gives them what every religion gives all of its constituents, all of its followers, all of its believers. You ready? Paul does that. Stay with me. Paul says, you need to get busy serving God. By the way, there's not a religion that doesn't say that. Every religion says you need to do. Every single one. But Paul offers the grand difference in Christianity and every other world system. He doesn't just say do. He said, done. Done. He doesn't say just get busy for God. He says it is now empowered by something other than you. We call this, we call this scheme of 12 and 13. We might call it the command and we get the strength. We get responsibility and we get the energy. We get the duty to obey and we get the grace to enable obeying. We get law and we get gospel. This is 12 and 13. This is the Christian life. It is both doing and done. Doing and done. This is where Christianity is set apart. The truth is, here's the truth today. You and I don't have enough spiritual energy to get our salvation working out visibly. We don't have enough spiritual energy to get ourselves in favor with God. We don't have enough spiritual energy in and of ourselves to grow as believers either. We do not have that energy So just like in his life, death, and resurrection, God again for the believer comes to the rescue. He says, you need to work out your salvation. And every believer in the room goes, I'm trying. I'm trying. Pastor, I try to obey. And I failed this week. I tried. And there were some good days and there were some bad days. And just like the cross screams rescue, so does the provision of God to believers scream rescue. Paul takes them immediately to the source of all of their working. All of their working. He takes them right to the source. He said, you guys obey well. You do it when I'm there. You do it better when I'm not there. Continue to work it out. Make it visible. And in case you're wondering how you're going to do it, it is God which worketh 
in you. It's a reminder of what John Bunyan said. John Bunyan wrote these words, one of my favorites. He said, run, John, run, the law commands. But neither, speaking of the law, gives me feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. You notice that? The law says, run, but it doesn't give you the legs and the feet to, to do so. The gospel of Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to tell you to fly, and I'm going to give you the wings to fly. This is, the, this is what Paul's telling them. This is a Christian life. God calls us to obey, and then he enables our obedience. God calls us to serve him, and then he enables our service. God calls us to holiness, and then he empowers us to pursue holiness. Why is that? Because you and I have been saved for this God-honoring life, according to Ephesians 2. You and I are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. The good works we could not do if we were not first created in Jesus. But because believers have been created in Christ, new creature, we have been formed, we've been given the Holy Spirit. Now we can live that life that brings good works, enabled by the Holy Spirit. The word worketh there in Philippians 2. It is God which worketh. The word is this, and you might find the root word very quickly. The Greek word there, the original language, is energio. If you will, Paul says, got some energy for you. God called you to a big call. Work out your salvation. And every believer said, I'm trying. And God said, I know, but guess what? Here's the power. A can of cancer, or whatever this is. You've got to make your, your salvation visible. Well, tomorrow I'm going to be tired. I'm going to get frustrated quickly. I'm going to get irritated. My, my spouse is going to bother me. My kids are going to bother me. And I'm going to feel like I'm not working out my salvation. The Christian in that moment needs to recognize they can't do it in themselves. And they need to stop and they need to grab a hold of the, the working of the Spirit of God in their life. And they need to realize that God is giving you the spiritual energy drink the is that rock star um shouldn't be in christian churches come on guys oh the spiritual energy that you can't have this morning my alarm went off and i gotta be honest with you it was a little earlier than i really wanted to get up and i hit snooze I had put out last night, I had put out my Asics running shoes, I had put out my shorts, I had put out my shirt, my socks. I was going to go for a run. And I thought, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not running this morning. Then I, when I ended up getting up, I went out to my kitchen, I kicked on the most blessed thing in my kitchen, it's an espresso machine. And I got me a double shot of espresso at 5.15 this morning, and I slammed that double shot of espresso. I sat down, I looked over my notes for a little while, and then I thought, 
I'm ready. I had drinking some water. I had some water in there too. And I got my I got my my shoes on, my shorts on, I got my Apple Watch ready, I got my headphones in, and I took off. And I ran. I, I probably didn't get out to about 7:15. I haven't stopped sweating since I got home, by the way. It was so hot and humid, I've just been sweating and sweating. And while I'm running, I'm going, God, thank you for espresso. Thank you for espresso. Because there's no way I could run this morning. And there's no way I could finish that run without without the coffee I had. It was the energy I needed in the morning. And some of y'all are looking at me with judgy eyes, but you're the ones that have the cup that say, don't talk to me till the coffee's this low. (laughs) Right? I need Jesus and a whole lot of coffee or whatever you say. Because we understand something about coffee, about energy drinks, about certain things that we eat. They're to energize and wake us up. Holy Spirit is our energy drink. I don't mean to be, I'm not all trying to be disrespectful. I'm simply giving you a practical example. The Holy Spirit says, I energize all of your working out. All of it. It's God. But I need to be very clear. And I want to I hurry, but I don't want you to miss this. God is always working in believers. And Paul says it there. If you can give me that text back up there. He says it in Philippians 2. He says, for it is God which worketh in you both. There are two things that God is working in you. He is working both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let me put it very simply. Let me explain to you exactly what Paul says here. God is enabling you both to want and to act. God, by His gracious Holy Spirit, implanted in you in the moment of salvation, God has has granted you the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is working in the believer, and He is changing your want, and He is giving you a desire to act in a way that brings Him pleasure. I was able to, this week, explain to my kids the the psychological difference between want and need, right? My kids think it's great to ask for an iPhone. My son turned seven yesterday. Number one on his birthday wish list, I want an iPhone 10X. I said, bro, I'll get you one for your golden birthday. That means when you're 27, I'll get you an iPhone. And I get an iPhone in this house, homie, all right? I get you a cupcake. <laughs> and I explained to them there are things that you want, doesn't mean you need them. By the way, that'd be a good financial reminder to a lot of us. Things you want, but you don't need. Paul says God works in you and he begins to change your wants so that you begin to do what He desires you to do. And see, that is antithetical, because every religion that says do, every Christian says, I have to do. Paul says, I want to take you, God wants to take you by working in you from the have to to the want to. And He only does so by the Spirit of God. And so He changed our wants. He changes them, actually, by two things. I'll be quick, and then we're going to conclude with an illustration. He changes our wants by giving us holy dissatisfaction. Now, most believers I talk to are frustrated with this. 
But I want to tell you today, if you're dissatisfied with your Christian life, if you feel like you're not growing, like you're bored, like you don't get anything out of the Bible, and it frustrates you, that's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. It's what we would call holy dissatisfaction, is that you are dissatisfied with where you are today as a Christian. If you have that, that is a working of God's Spirit in you. If you don't have it, there's a problem. The holy dissatisfaction brings about in us holy desire. And this is the positive side. It is the holy desire which causes you and I to hate our sin, and it cultivates in us a desire for righteousness. But we need both. We need the holy dissatisfaction, and we need the holy desire. They work together. God changes us by making us dissatisfied, frustrated with our Christian life, which propels us to desire to see the glory of following Jesus. And so as God begins to work in us, He begins changing our wants. We begin to want differently. We begin to act differently for the pleasure of God alone. It's almost like you would see the Christian life like this. And don't miss this illustration. It's almost like verse 12 is a practical example like this. God says to every Christian in here, you need to be in Los Angeles, California in five days. You don't have a choice. Every Christian is commanded right now to leave church today and to get to Los Angeles, California in five days. Get moving. Get busy. Get walking. Get working. You got to go 2,020 miles from Ravenswood Baptist Church to the city limits of Los Angeles, California, 2,020 miles. You got to get there in five days. And everybody in here goes, that's not possible. Walking alone will take you 29 days at least. I can't get there. Well, work it out. God commands you to figure it out. Get to Los Angeles. And you go, I can't. To get there in time, you're going to have to be able to walk 70 miles an hour. The problem is you can't walk 70 miles an hour. But the moment you get in this beautiful Tesla, it can take you 70 miles an hour. You with me? But you got to get in the Tesla. Because God's telling you, you got to be in California in five days. Work out your own salvation. Get busy walking, working, serving. And you're going, I, I'm trying, I can't. And God's saying, uh, I'm giving you power. I'm giving you power. Get in the Tesla. Get in the car. Because you can't go 70, but the car can. Even better. You want to move faster? How about getting on a jet airplane? It won't take five days to get there. It won't even take three like the Tesla probably would. It'll just take about five hours. Well, ten, because you have to go through TSA check. All right. If you get on the plane, you can't fly 400 miles an hour. But the plane can. You can't get to Los Angeles in your own power that fast. See, the call to obey is big. The empowerment is even bigger. The call to obey is big, but the empowerment of Jesus and His Spirit in you is bigger. So get on the plane. Get on the plane. So we get to verse 12 and we go, 
oh, here we are, obey, obey, obey. And God says, oh, no, I'm working in you so you want to obey. I'm working in you so you desire to obey. I'm working in you so you not only desire, but then you obey. If all we do is say, is for you to come to church today and go, obey the Lord, now go home. I've just given you a recipe for disaster. Unless, unless there's power working in you. For every believer, you don't need extra power. You don't need pastoral power. You don't need baptistry power. You already have the Holy Spirit. God literally in you is enabling you to make your salvation visible. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.